Welcome to In Between. This episode features another uh, special conversation I had with a friend called Panishika Ghosh. She is doing her PhD in sociology and she's on a scholarship at the moment working in the same department where I work. And for a longer time we have been thinking about doing a podcast episode together but we didn't really know about which topic uh, until it came to my mind that she's teaching a Bengali language course at the University of Zurich at the moment and she herself is a Bengali and I've actually always been quite interested in Bengalis or Bengaliness and what exactly that means because I've heard and read so much about it over the years and to understand that interest one has to know that India is made up of many different states just like Switzerland is but uh, to me it seems even more like uh, if you think of Europe with all its different countries where there is a different culture, a different language in all of these countries. It feels a bit of the same in India that uh, each state seems a little bit like a country of its own to me. I've always been kind of interested in understanding what it means to come from a certain state and what all it brings with it. So since Panishika is a Bengali teaching Bengali language at the moment, so I asked her if we cannot just have a podcast episode about Bengaliness and what it means to grow up as a Bengali. And uh, she agreed. And that is how on a Thursday evening I was on my way to meet her in her place at the heart of Zurich. And when I was just going up the many, many steps that lead to her place, uh, a summer rain was coming out of nowhere and... I had to hurry up a bit and still I got drenched a little bit and so I was again waiting in front of uh, her place. I always have to call her because I keep forgetting which one of the very similar looking doors it is. <laughs> so she always walks all the way down to get me and then we went up together. She served me water, a very Indian thing to do, like the first thing when you get somewhere you get a glass of water, which is also always kind of nice and we settled down and... Yeah, once we finished the general chit-chat, we started our conversation and we were still sitting in her small little room with a beautiful view uh, next to the window and we're listening to the rain and we're slowly having our conversation on this evening about West Bengal and Bengaliness. Of course, there were a couple of things which I already knew about Bengalis or certain images that were already in my head because of things I've read and people I've met and so on. But uh, first I asked her to, if she could like very generally situate Bengalis a little bit for us, maybe geographically, culturally, historically, and uh, start this conversation with that. So Bengaliness would be specific to each Bengali, I guess, depending on where a Bengali is situated, whether it's in the metropolitan cities like Calcutta or whether it's in the suburban regions like I'm from. I'm from Bardwan, which is a very small town. It's an agrarian part of uh, Bengal. And so depending on that, but simultaneously, Bengaliness inherently within India signifies a group of people who strongly stress on being cultured because that's the first thing that comes to at least the minds of Bengalis when they think about what Bengalis are. And the culture would include a very rich tradition of singing, dancing, art, drama, music. And that's why I think Bengali inherently kind of signifies having a lot of culture. And they're very proud of the heritage that they have. 
and if i have to situate bengal it's in the eastern part of the indian subcontinent we have to signify what bengal is because united bengal was bangladesh which is like east bengal and western bengal western bengal now falls in the eastern part of indian subcontinent and the east bengal now has become bangladesh altogether and bengal was kind of a very important center of maritime trade and commerce since a very early age it had a good economic relations with greece and roman empires and things like spices and muslins used to be imported and exported through the ports of bengal from a very very old time so calcutta is the capital of bengal it had been the capital of british empire before india got independence and it kind of uh, resonates the whole bengali culture but simultaneously there are other cities in west bengal that are really important one would be durgapur and asansol so they are like the the economic hub of west bengal there is uh, bardwan it's called the rice bowl of west bengal it's the largest place where a lot of uh, rice is produced and then there is kharagpur kharagpur is the place where you have iit kharagpur which is kind of one of the best universities in india so a lot of people who want to go go into the technical sciences go to iit kharagpur then of course i was interested to ask panishika but what did bengaliness mean for you and your upbringing during your life and since she had told me a couple of days ago that she had found her great grandfather in an archive uh, i was very interested to hear more about bengaliness from that perspective so growing up I was always torn between how I looked at myself as a Bengali because I was a East Bengal person so my parents belong from East Bengal Bangladesh current Bangladesh uh, so their ancestors came from there and I mean they settled in western Bengal so I was always torn between being a East Bengali in West Bengal and my language my culture my habits were kind of not very similar to the west bengal population so for instance east bengalis would have rice in the morning afternoon and at night all three times a day and west bengalis think that that's really that's really boring and that in some ways cannot ensure that you have highest productivity they would mostly have breads during the morning and the, and the night similarly many of the languages that i had were so eastern bengali in nature that people did not like it in my school so that's why i always felt i was a bengali but not considered bengali in my current context with my friends and simultaneously i used to have dry fish at home it's basically fish is dried in it's like sardines so there is a lot of salt in the fish they dry the fish and it produces a very pungent smell which nobody liked around in the neighborhoods so again we were kind of the bengalis who were not bengalis growing up sometimes what happens is that when continuously people critique you for your habits you kind of grow more assertive over that so that's why probably i'm so proud of my east bengali heritage and um therefore i went forward to understand what happened to my ancestors who used to live in east bengal i really was interested to know who were my grandfathers and who were my great great grandfathers i had no idea so my grandfather always used to say that they had lots of money and they had lots of gold in seven trunks and they had two storied houses and a 
recurrent nostalgia is how they lost not the money but the land that they had because bengalis have a very strong connection with the trees that they owned the ponds that they owned and the food that they ate so that was the nostalgia that was all about so that's why i wrote to a person who was in the Bang- bangladesh minority commission so i just wrote see this is my name this is my father's name i know this is my grand great great grandfather's name and he immediately recognized that person. I did not expect that he would recognize this person. So my great-great-grandfather was was like a barrister and also a landlord in um, Bangladesh. So basically he was a barrister and he was an associate of Gandhi. He had invited Gandhi over in 1946 to come and ensure that India got independence and to ensure that people, both Hindus and Muslims, fought together with each other at the moment of independence and when he came back when he tried to come to western bengal from from eastern bengal he left all his property under the name of a trust uh, which is called mahatma gandhi trust which is still there and there is a small ashram there where all his um, all of gandhi's things are kind of preserved so i recently came to know that and i kind of feel very happy about it that i at least got to know who my great great grandfather was then, connected to India's independence, there was uh, one thing which I was always kind of interested in. So, as far as I knew or I had heard, Bengalis, or like a certain upper section of uh, Bengalis, were the first people in India to kind of uh, work together with the British. And uh, I felt like asking her about that. The first place where the British actually officially started the, their reign, I would say, is Bengal. It was 1857, Battle of Palasi, from where the reign or the power shifted from the Mughal rulers, the Muslim rulers, to the British. And in this period where the British were consolidating power, they took help from a section of people who were landed aristocracy in Bengal. And these section of people went on to become the Bhadraloks of the Bengali society. These people learned English, they became clerks in the British departments, and they played a huge role in not only determining what Bengaliness is, what the Babu culture, I'd come to that later, what the Babu culture and the Bhadralok culture is, but in the end, Panishika gave the story kind of a different twist when she talked about uh, the formation of Bengali language and literature, the Bengali Renaissance and all the different writers that have grown out of this. And she explained that because there were so many writers, so many well-educated people, all of these books and articles eventually culminated in a sentiment against the British. So Bengal not only therefore became the first place that the British started to consolidate its power, Bengal also became the first place where protests against the British started happening. Then of course when we're already talking about literature, in my head I had many Bengali authors, I heard of Bengali writers and poets, people like Tagore about whom we're going to talk a bit more later and I knew that in generally fine arts seem to be something very important when it comes to Bengaliness because I remember how other Bengali friends in India have told me about growing up and having to go to all of these kind of different art classes and of course I was very interested how 
Banishika had experienced that while growing up. Well, the first thing I remember about arts, arts is a very important part of Bengal, growing up as a Bengali and kids are inculcated into it even without realizing that they want to do dance and singing because they see other people, other kids doing it and there are frequent cultural programs. So every 15 days there is a cultural program just to encourage the kids in all of these arts and sciences. So they would be asked to dance, they would be asked to sing. So as a as a kid growing up, I really was, I idealized being a perfect Bengali. I wanted to sing and dance and first I started with drawing because my mother really wanted me to be a beautiful artist, which unfortunately did not happen. Mm-hmm. And then my mother thought, well, fine, if she cannot do good in art, then maybe we should start with singing. Because it's important to note here that my family has a lot of singers in them. So my grandfather was a singer in Tripura, and he had the biggest school in the entire state of Tripura. So my father was a singer, my aunts are all professional singers in India. And hailing from that family, my mother kind of assumed that first off I was a Bengali, second I hailed from a singer background. So she thought it's in her blood, she can do it. But I couldn't do it and that was the biggest saddening point of my mother's and my father's life. They just thought, how could that be? How could she not sing? She She's always seeing people sing. But I think that's the entire reason why I didn't sing. Every time I went to a holiday to my grandfather's house, I had to literally wake up at 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning and hear people singing guzzles. And it was so, so tiring to me as a kid that I really didn't like it. I always used to think I really want a good holiday, I want to sleep and getting up at 4.30 in the morning hearing all these classical Indian music, it made no sense to me. So first my parents tried to inculcate me into uh, the arts and then into singing. Then they tried dancing but unfortunately I sprained my ankle and my mother was really kind of um, protective of me. So she said, okay, done with dancing, no more dancing. And um, after that, she thought, let's try poetry with her. And so I was sent to a poet, very renowned poet of that area. And the poet told my mother, you can't force your child to do things that she doesn't want to do. Because he clearly saw, I didn't remember anything. He told me to remember a poetry and then speak it out. I was so bored. I said, I don't want to do. My parents brought me here. And so the person said, okay, fine, you just have some biscuits and some snacks. I'll tell your parents to take you home. So having finished art, having finished music, dancing and poetry, my mother finally thought it was enough of Bengaliness for me. Where the mind is without fear and the head is held high where knowledge is free, where the world has not been broken up into fragments by narrow domestic walls, where words come out from the depth of truth, where tireless striving stretches its arms towards perfection, where the clear stream of reason has not lost its way into the dreary desert sand of dead habit, where the mind is led forward by thee into ever-widening thought and action, into that heaven of freedom, my father, let my country awake. You just heard a poem by the famous Bengali poet Tagore, 
which is called Where the Mind is Without Fear. And Tagore is one of the most famous Bengali figures that had that I came across like a long time ago. Um, he's a famous author, writer and poet. He has written the Gitanjali and he was the first non-European to receive a Nobel Prize uh, in literature. He also wrote the national anthems of India and Bangladesh, both of them. And he's kind of somebody you can't get around if you're interested in India. So, of course, he had to be in some way part of our conversation. You might not have a picture of your grandfather at home. You will have a picture of Tagore in the home. And he would have a picture next to all the gods and goddesses. Because he won the Nobel Prize and obviously I kind of realized that he has written a lot of important stuff. But I, I didn't like Tagore growing up because we had in all of our Bengali classes that we were forced to take as a child, we had to have a recitation competition where you had to recite a poetry from Tagore. That means learning and learning Tagore's poems again and again and being the best in class. So I guess my relationship with Tagore was always in a constant crisis because and sometimes I liked him because I got really good grades when I could say good poetry in class. One more thing in Bengaliness is always trying to become the best in class. So the people, so we have always heard, at least I have heard here, here in Switzerland, that um, people who are kind of the first, second, third, they, they rank in class. They are kind of not very cool, but at least in Bengal, people who are the first, second, third in class, they are considered the best students. They are loved by teachers. They are the role models for everybody else because in Bengal, there is an inherent need to strive for excellence that comes from a huge background of having lots of uh, scientists, social scientists, Nobel laureates within the community. So it's always, there are so many people to look up to. When we started to talk more about this uh, phenomenon of the topper, of people exceeding in, exceeding in class and all of that, I found it very interesting because uh, here in Switzerland, we don't have that at all. Marks are something kind of private. So because around here, I wouldn't know what kind of marks my classmates got uh, unless they wanted to share them with me. And there's no kind of list where you can see, oh, this person was first, second, third in the class. Stuff like this, at least in the very general public schools, do not exist. And... It was very interesting for me when Banishika said that uh, for her it was strange to come to Switzerland and start doing her PhD where suddenly this constant ranking was not there anymore. There was nothing to top because uh, you're just working on your PhD, the others are too. How, how would you know who tops and who doesn't top and uh, how that was strange for her in the beginning. And for me, of course, uh, it went the other way around. I found it strange to find so much competition in the education system in India or I found it strange that Indian friends or even earlier I came across this phenomenon with uh, some Turkish friends that they would exactly know their rank their rank in class maybe also in some national exams or uh, whatever it's very interesting for me to think what this growing up in one or the other system or maybe a combination of both um, what that kind of does to one's maybe self-understanding or the way one moves in, in school and in academics in general. 
then when I think about the Bengalis, I always think of a certain locality in Delhi where a couple of Bengali friends have brought me before, invited me to their places where I've been walking around with them and where there is a certain Bengali market to which I had been a couple of times and uh, there's also the audio, like the sounds you're hearing in the background, it's coming from that market. We sometimes went there to eat sweets or of course I saw there was fish curry all around in this market sold in different little places and I also remember that when I was studying in the university in Delhi there was a on the same floor as mine there was a Bengali girl living like her room was kind of close to my room and uh, she sometimes came over and uh, I remember one special time when she had sweets from home like Bengali sweets and she, she shared them with me and they were really delicious. Since I've talked so much about the fish curry and the sweets I felt like asking Banishika so what about food in Bengali culture? Yes fish and sweets are important part of the Bengali culture. Fish is so important that it is a part of Bengali marriages so there is a custom where you send lots of gifts to the boy's house and the boy's house also sends lots of gifts to the girl's house. In this gift giving, there are huge, huge bowls of fish. The problem is that sometimes, because there are lots of traffic jams in Western Bengal, when you kind of shift this fish from one part of uh, West Bengal to another, if unfortunately the marriages are happening in two districts, the fish sometimes go goes bad, but still the culture remains. So there would be huge boxes of fish to be sent to the groom's house and vice versa during marriages, which kind of makes us understand how fish is important. It is actually said by Bengalis that you are not a Bengali if you cannot buy fish in the market after haggling with the fishmonger. So fish is an important part of Bengali identity and so is sweets. So is rice actually. Bengalis love rice. The other important food would be biryani. And we, everybody, we know that biryani is an important part of Indian cuisine. But potato in biryani is not an important part of cuisines of other parts of India. It is in Western Bengal. The reason is when the Portuguese came to Bengal, a king at that particular time saw that the Portuguese really loved potatoes. They brought potatoes with them. And then he said, well, I don't have a lot of money now. I don't have a lot of money to have chicken. Why not put potatoes in the biryani and try and then they started trying with potatoes and I would kill to have the potato biryani right now. Coming back to the culture of food in Western Bengal and there is also a little war going on between East Bengal and Western Bengal over food. West Bengalis love to put sugar in their curries. East Bengalis on the other hand are much more interested in putting coconut in their curries. So, East Bengalis always say to the West Bengal people, you can not only eat sweet outside, but also you have to eat sweet in the curries. You do not know anything apart from putting sweet in your food. Simultaneously, there is a war between Elish, which is the hilsa fish, and Chingri, which is the prawn, big, big tiger prawns. So East Bengalis love Elish because Podda is a is a river in Bangladesh where the most amount of hilsa fish is produced. So Elish is therefore an important part of East Bengali identity and for West Bengalis it's prawns. Prawn curry with coconut. 
a funny joke that is often there in eastern bengal is that how can you eat prawns it is actually an insect that lives in the water we eat fish we don't eat insects and the eastern bengalis make fun of western bengal people so much because they eat prawns I think one reason why Bengaliness at the moment was so much at the top of my mind was also because I'm currently reading a book that's called The Namesake from and now I'm probably pronouncing it terribly uh, Champa Lahiri a Bengali author and uh, it's a book about a Bengali man studying in the US and then his Bengali wife following him to the US and the two of them living there building a family and then the kids being like in the book it's written that when the parents close their eyes and they listen to their kids the kids have such an american accent and they they sound just like americans not like indians anymore and it's about all this living between two cultures uh, migrating to another country and then different generation who have different amounts of cultural connections to different places and all of that is a very beautiful book so far i've really enjoyed it and in the book they describe different kinds of rituals or different very bengali things and one thing i've been quite fascinated with and i felt like bringing up in this conversation with panishka was something called the rice ritual because in the book when uh, There was a moment like there was some kind of ceremony where there is a plate and on the plate there are different items I think there was a book a pen some mud some money and maybe some food I'm not sure anymore and whatever the kid like the kid is maybe I don't know not even a year old whatever it touches first it's going to say something about its destiny and I was very intrigued by this kind of a ritual and of course I was wondering if uh, Banishika had made her own experiences with it. After 6 months there is a rice eating ceremony for children. It has to be done by the mother's brother. And the mother's brother sits with the child, he feeds the child and then the grandmother or the grandfather come forward with a plate. In that plate there are four five things kept. There is a book, there is a pen, there is money and there is food. depending on what the child touches first the child's future is predicted so my story would be i did not have my my mother's brother my mother did not have a sibling so my grandfather did the ceremony for me and the book that was kept on the plate was modern india it's a hardcore history book and my father was really pitching money for the book and my mother was really pitching money for the so basically they were competing they really wanted the bengalis believe in this ritual very much so they actually are convinced whatever the child touches the child is going to embody something around it in future life so my father wanted me to touch modern india my mother wanted me to touch the money however i touched modern india So whenever whenever my father understood I was going to be an academician he he continuously references me to that rice eating ceremony and he says I made you touch that book because the person who wrote it Sumit Sarkar is a very well renowned historian and I want you to become a historian like he was
then another Bengali thing that had made a huge impression on me when I was in Delhi was a Durga Puja. Again, a ritual or even a kind of a celebration that happens every year. And then I was invited to a Bengali locality in Delhi and I could uh, walk around, see all the different tents, all these statues of Durga, the drums, the lots of food, people being dressed up very nicely and there was so much happening and parades and kids and it it felt a bit like a fair or something. It was very interesting. Like I've, I had never seen something like this and partly I was a little bit overwhelmed because there were so many people and so much uh, drums and things happening which I didn't understand but it made a huge impression on me and of course I couldn't let this uh, Bengali conversation end without having talked about Durga Puja. Durga Puja is a 11-day affair. It starts with Mahalaya, which means the advent of the Devi. And with the start of Mahalaya, we start celebrating and gearing up for Durga Puja. We start buying all our dresses. We start buying makeup for going up in these different cultural festivals. But the main ritual starts from 6th. Sixth day onwards. So we have, we call it sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth. So on the tenth day, we put the goddess into the water and we ensure that the goddess goes to the upper realm again. But during these six days, don't think Bengalis become pious and holy. Not at all. So Durga Puja is not just a religious festival it's for most bengalis a festival where they can do anything they have holidays so they can go out on a foreign holiday or a very small trip they can take a small trip during durga puja the flight fares increase because whole of india knows that bengalis love traveling during durga puja if you are a bengali who is unfortunately stuck in bengal still there are a lot of avenues where you can enjoy on 6th you go up wearing a very flashy dress. So sixth would probably be like a prom. Seventh would be the dress where you start shifting in some ways towards the traditional outfits. So sixth, you can wear a cocktail dress and go out. But seventh, you would move in some ways towards an anarkali, which is like a, like a kurta, pajama. Eighth is an important day in the Durga Puja because eighth day marks the coming of the goddess and it also marks the celebration of women and children, girl children. So there is a puja called Kumari Puja where small girls are asked to sit and Bengalis worship these girls because they are kind of the embodiment of the Devi. I really wanted to be a part of such a worship because it meant good clothes, it meant lots of uh, toys and it meant somebody would dress you up and you would sit and everybody would come and touch your feet. Unfortunately, people, only girls who can become Kumaris, they are the Brahmins. So because I was not a Brahmin, so therefore I could not become a Kumari. But my friends described their experiences of becoming a Kumari and a goddess and they felt the top of their world. On the ninth day, you wear a sari. Not a very traditional one, a rather flashy and a really nice sari. But on the 10th day, most Bengali women wear a white sari with a red border. And then there is a ritual called the Sindur Khala. Sindur Khala is a Sindur is the vermilion that Indian women apply. And Khala means playing. So women play with Sindur. They apply 
red vermilion on the faces of each other. If you are a married woman, they would apply it on your, the top of your head. If you are an unmarried woman, they would just apply you on the cheeks. But most women dress up and then they participate in this ritual. Then as mentioned before, two concepts which I feel like I've come across all the time whenever one talks about Bengalis or Bengaliness, which is uh, Bhadralok and Babu culture. So I asked Panishika to explain them a little bit more to me because even when I heard them so many times, I still am not sure if I really understood them correctly. The Babu system and the Bhadralok society, both these words or both these ideas and culture and ways of living, they originated at similar time during the 19th century. It is the Babus who gave rise to the Bhadralok culture. The Babus were clerks mostly in the British government and they read these new books and articles that were being written during their times. They wanted to hugely be influenced by and copy in some ways the Western traditions and ways of thought, liberty, equality, fraternity and new other new ideas that were being brought up. They read Nietzsche, they read other scholars and at the same time they really wanted to be westernized in some ways. So the idea of being a Bhadralok basically means being cultured or being respectable. And it has different connotations. Bhadraluk could mean somebody who knows a lot of literature, who is very good at fine arts. Bhadraluk would also mean somebody who is a middle class person. And I guess all these clerks that came forward, they were a huge section of middle class that emerged during that time in, in India. But now if I look at what Bhadraluk is, every Bengali says we want to be a Bhadraluk. We want to be cultured. We want to be somebody who is a respectable person in the society. If we look into how Bhadralok was formed, there are different aspects to it. One would be education. You had to have ed education in one of the best colleges of Calcutta. You had to have a government job. Saving is an important part of being a Bhadralok, not indulging in a lot of flashy things. Not wearing flashy things is another important part of being a Bhadralok. Bhadralokness is associated with being subtle as well. So after that, the conversation went on and we talked about all kinds of different more things related to it. And that's always the problem with a podcast. If I don't want to make it super long, I have to cut out certain things. And uh, that's always a very hard decision. And so we were talking on and on. And Eventually, I, since I know that at the moment Panishika is kind of stuck in Switzerland, so she already should have left for her fieldwork in India. But uh, because of the enduring COVID situation, she's not able to fly out of Switzerland and she's kind of stuck here. And since we had spent the whole afternoon talking about her home, about her culture, about her Bengali food and all these kind of things, I kind of felt uh, like asking her then what exactly is it that uh, she's missing since now she's kind of stuck in Switzerland and has spent already a couple of months here. I miss people interfering into my lives. In some way, 
although i hated when i this entire thing when i was back in bengal um this would i this experience would have been different is if i was born in a metropolitan city like calcutta but i am from a very suburban area such a suburban area that if you have stomach problems or dysentery the next person or the neighbor gets to know that you are having health issues so they come with that that not not only means that they are interfering that also means that sometimes they come with food that can help you so in some ways the fact that people come to meet you they they take care of yourself like a family member if something happens in your family people jump at a jump and try to help so i somehow miss that thing where people take care of each other they ask how things are how you are feeling that also means you have to as a sing as a as an unmarried woman to have questions when are you going to get married do you already have a boyfriend and stuff like that but i think i am willing to take the ride and that's what i miss the most i i should have said food but i i think i have kind of i know where to find bengali food here i know how to make bengali food in switzerland so i don't miss that much i really miss the chaos back after uh, i put off my mic and i uh, put it back into my bag uh, we went out like uh, i showed panishika one of my favorite places in surig which is like a, it's like a park but it has it's kind of a construction like from a factory building which is full and fully overgrown with plants and it's a very magical place like somewhere where you definitely wouldn't expect it and there are like many many stairs and you can like take a lot of stairs and rise over the top of Zurich basically and you have quite an interesting view and uh, when we went there there even was a rainbow on that day which uh, was very beautiful and everything was still wet from the rain and it was a very nice and atmosphere and uh, yeah we were walking around we were taking pictures we were just talking and like so many times before i asked myself like how must all of this seem through her eyes something which i'm always wondering of course and yeah i thought about her saying that she misses the chaos and wondered how all of this seems to her then as always i was very grateful for having that talk in general i love these kind of conversations where people just give me their time and uh, all their knowledge and experiences and uh, i just get to talk about stuff which i'm interested in with people it's like one of the most beautiful things for me to kind of create a space where these kind of conversations focused conversations about a certain topic are possible and of course i know that in the end this is a conversation it's not an academic paper about what bengaliness means or anything like it but uh i know that if i would have had this conversation with someone else maybe something completely different would have come out maybe this person would have described bengaliness completely different but for me that's also one of the beautiful things about these conversations because somehow it it doesn't make them so unique because they are also to a big extent very personal and it makes them yeah interesting and valuable thank you so much for listening and i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did